0: Well, good evening. It's good to be with you once again, and once again we are returning to the subject of Israel. We've been doing this this month, and this is going to conclude this series. We, first of all, want to thank each of you for allowing us to do this. Uh, When we kind of launched this, um, we just kind of had it as an idea in our minds, and we just kind of started developing it each week, and just the overall encouragement both here and from abroad, has been uh, just something that's really touched our hearts as you think about this lesson. We hope that they've been very helpful for you. Um, we put out booklets last week. There, there are new, no new lessons in the booklet. So, but we put more booklets out there for you to maybe share with family and friends. Holiday times, a lot of times we get together. And that may be a conversation people have about what's going on in the world. And so those booklets would be there just to kind of have them and to pass them out. You know, we're four weeks into this series, and the war continues on. And it would be wonderful if we could say the war is over, peace prevails, but it doesn't. And what we try to do in this series is not so much talk about what's happening over there right now, but to walk through the Bible and talk about some things there. So in our first lesson... We talked about the origin of the word Israel, and we kind of covered it through the Old Testament, and we focused upon the three promises that God made, a a nation, and that was fulfilled, a land, and that was fulfilled, and a great promise through Abraham's seed that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And we found that fulfilled, and one of our theme verses just kind of of came out of this is in Galatians chapter 3, where the apostle says those who belong to Christ are, are Abraham's descendants and they are heirs to the promise, and so that promise is what goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, and so then our second lesson, we talked about Israel in the New Testament, and we saw this transition from physical Israel to spiritual Israel, and then last time in our lesson, we talked about israel and the kingdom of god and where where the kingdom is what the kingdom is we kind of trace through some different things we talked about the concept of premillennialism and some of the fallacies found in that theory so so that's just kind of got us caught up to to where we're going to be tonight tonight will be more of a typical chair series where we have a series of questions we're going to ask each other we don't know how each other's going to answer but we're under a clock here, so we're going to be careful about that. that. Yeah, the elders may want to put that there permanently. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That's that's just something I put up there. I don't know. We should. The
1: sand is literally going through. It the does, elders.
0: and it in, and when it goes down, it's been one hour. That's <laughs> called an hourglass. Okay. I
1: appreciated how even this morning Roger took us back to Second Timothy chapter 3, 16 and seventeen, and and we've tried to use that as our north star even in this discussion. There are lots of sources that we could lean on, lots of human ideas, human theories, but we have really tried to confine ourselves to Scripture as our guide. And here's the reason. All Scripture is breathed out by God. God is faithful. As nations and empires and kings and dictators and presidents have come and gone God is constant, God is faithful. What we have in his word is breathed out by him and it is profitable for reproof, correction, teaching, training in righteousness, so that we as disciples of Jesus can be equipped for every good work, including thinking about how we ought to view what is going on in the world at at any particular time and so that continues to be our God. you reminded us this morning that we need to rest and and anchor ourselves right there that there are some things in it that are hard to understand and even some New Testament writers acknowledge that right but we can know who God is we can know his will for our lives we can know how to be saved we can know what the mission of his kingdom is that's what we want to root ourselves in even this evening
0: so let's let's begin a little background and then we'll get some questions tonight um we remind ourselves that wars are not new uh if you studied history at all there there have always been wars and jesus said this in matthew 24 verse 6 he says you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars see that you're not frightened for those things must take place but that is not yet the end now, the end there is not the end of time. And we've talked about that in one of our earlier lessons, how some misuse some of these chapters. It's talking about the end of Jerusalem, the, the, the fall of Jerusalem by the Romans there. But, but he's reminding us of that passage. Now, there's some other passages also that, that helps us. In the book of Daniel, if you will, Daniel chapter 2. And verse 21, there, there Daniel says, he, he, as he talks about God, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kingdoms. God, you know, in one way, we can almost look like the world, like a giant chess game. And God moves people around. We don't understand that. And when we look at it from the historical standpoint from the Bible, we see some of that. Israel's not doing well. He raises up the Assyrians. Judah not doing well, he raises up the Babylonians. When the Babylonians have finished the purpose that God has, he raises up the Persians and deal with the Babylonians. And so so God is quickly moving these things around. And from our perspective, we sometimes don't see this. And so we see a war going on. There's two wars currently going on, one in Europe and one in the Middle East right now. Um, Is God moving these kings around? Is God doing these things? We're in the middle of this, and it's hard for us to understand. Another great passage is found from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 21, verse 1, where there he talks about water in in the hands of God. God moves it wherever he wants. He he can move the heart of a king. And again, showing us that God is always in charge. There's no nation, there's no king, there's no armament so powerful that God is helpless. God is always in charge of these things. And so so we see that. And and I think one great example of this is in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1 is that little minor prophet, but but the prophet was concerned about his times as people today are. And and it begins in Habakkuk chapter 1, The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you not hear? I cry out to you, violence, and you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists, contentions arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes about perverted. Now, before we read verse 5, that was his times. And why aren't you doing something, God? I'm praying to you. And things are out of sort. And things are corrupt and evil and violent. But now begin verse 5. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe it if you were told. That's one of my great phrases in the Bible. If I told you, you wouldn't believe what I'm doing. He says, for behold, I'm rising, rising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, that fierce and impetuous people who march through the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. In other words, I've got this under my control. And you're not going to believe how I'm going to handle this, but I'm bringing the Babylonians in, and they're an answer to your prayer, and they're an answer to the problems here. And so once again, God moving things around that we cannot oftentimes see. In the book of Psalms, the psalmist would say in chapter 20, and in, or excuse me, Chronicles, I missed that one, Second Chronicles chapter 20, it says, Our God, will you not execute judgment, he says, on them, for we are powerless against this great Coming against us, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I think that's a that's a feeling a lot of times we have. We don't know what to do, and we'll talk about that this evening when we talk about what should we be doing right now. Here we're in America. There's a war over there. What should we do? And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Then we go to the book of Psalms, uh, Psalms 20, and verse 7. It it's, it's talks about not trusting in chariots or in horses. Our trust comes into the Lord. And then again in chapter 44, he's going to mention this idea that he does not trust in the bow. He does not trust in his armament, his sword. His trust and hope comes from God. And so when we think about wars, our times, our father's times, our grandfather's times, there's always been conflict. And the reason for that is people are living without Jesus, and that causes conflict. But through all of this, we see that God is still in charge. His kingdom has existed through World War I, through World War II, through Korea, through Vietnam, through Middle East wars. Way back, way back, the kingdom of God continues to stand, and that's something we need to appreciate
1: We'll go back and forth with a few questions here in just a minute, but one more principle to anchor ourselves to. If you want to turn in your Bibles to First Timothy in your New Testaments, First Timothy chapter two. Uh, Roger, you mentioned the idea of there being kings that are raised up by God. Not all of them are godly kings. Obviously, there were Back in Habakkuk's day, when God referenced the Chaldeans, Habakkuk knew what that meant. He he knew that, okay, if God is telling the truth, things are actually going to get better before, or they're going to get worse before they get better. But God is telling him, I am working to accomplish my purpose. It may not be the way that you would naturally guess, but i've got this is one way of paraphrasing that the new testament in first timothy in romans in first peter as we'll see in just a moment has a lot to say about human governments and it is significant to remember what that government was for instance in first peter chapter two verses one through four this is in the era of that fourth world empire that we (coughs) talked about last Sunday evening the Roman Empire and if you know anything about the Roman Empire you know it was not a God centered empire with a godly sort of ruler and yet we listen to how the Apostle Paul coaches Timothy to coach Saints in Ephesus and really for all time first Timothy 2 verses 1 through 4 first of all then I urge that supplications Of the truth, if I could just pull out a couple of key ideas from that, that maybe we'll come back to as as some of these questions unfold. First of all, God is, regardless of what happens in the world around us, God is, and as Paul is writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, he calls God our Savior. I'd encourage you to remember that this evening and for the rest of your life. Remember that as we try and reason and discuss and and talk about what is going on in the world. I need a Savior, and you need a Savior, just as surely as anyone. It is really, really easy when talking about Human events around the world to talk about us as the good guys and them, whoever them is, as the bad guys. Us versus them. And of course God is on our side, right? Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that this evening. Let's remember, we need a savior just as surely as anyone. That Savior wants all people to be saved. Our Savior wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. That is the mission of his kingdom. And so he tells us to pray for all people More about that maybe in a few moments. Let me take us one other place. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you'll turn a few pages later. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter has a lot to say about this as well. He doesn't contradict Paul. Uh, The same Holy Spirit is guiding him. He's in a different part of the world. He is working largely with a different people group. And yet the message really is the same. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13, 14, and 15 He tells Christians be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. Now, if we wanted a little bit more about the phrases before that, punishing those who do evil, praising those who do good. Romans chapter 12, Romans 13 is a, a great passage of Scripture to study where Paul talks about the role of human government. But right here he's talking to individuals and he says, listen, in light of this, this is the will of God, that by doing good, what, what can we do in a world gone so wrong. What, what can we do mm-hmm. in the middle of what Paul would describe as a twisted and crooked generation? Well, here's, here's bedrock. Right. Do good. Mm-hmm. And perhaps by doing good, you can put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In chapter 3, he says in verse 8, Finally, all of you, speaking to Christians... Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. Clearly, already there, we we are reminded, just like last Sunday evening, we belong to a kingdom that is not like the kingdoms of this world. We've been called... To be a blessing for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord, the Lord is, and his eyes are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer, but the fear of the Lord is against those, or the face of the Lord is against those Who do evil now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good what can we do in a world that seems so upside down be zealous for what is good if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Good lenses, filters, however you want to to describe it, to put in our minds anytime we're talking about such contentious events. Okay, so we've talked all about God's kingdom last Sunday evening. We, we emphasized that we can be a part of the kingdom now. We're not waiting for the kingdom to come. Acts chapter 13, verse 36 is a great summary of a, a great life <clears throat> in the Old Testament. David, he served the purposes of God in his own generation let's start roger here what is god's purpose for this generation
0: and and the answer to that i think sometimes people are looking for something unique the answer to this is the same answer for the last generation and the last generation and the last generation all the way back to the very beginning ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 the whole duty of man is to fear god and to keep his commandments that's what God is waiting from us. Uh, let's turn to the Bible's book of Luke, chapter 12. I'm going to grab a passage of Luke, chapter 12. But particularly in our times, our times are becoming more and more secular, more and more ungodly. And the world needs to see, as Jason just said, kindness. Uh, they understand hatred. You just turn the TV on to the nightly news, you see hatred all the time. They, they need to see honesty. Um, from politicians to... People that deal in business, uh, dishonesty is, is off the charts. They need to see biblical type of worship, uh, the way God wants to be worshiped, uh, not the concert atmosphere, not, not just fun and games, but they need to see worship as it's designed by God. They need to see forgiveness. They need to see marriages that are thriving and healthy as God wants them to be. And so, so the, you know, that's not unique to our times. That's something every generation needed to do but maybe more so this generation, because this generation doesn't have a lot. There was a time when you read someone's obituary that everyone belonged to some church. Those days are gone. There's a lot of people who, who have never belonged to anything. And so they're growing up without God. They're raising kids without God and that that's been manifested in our times and so how important that is for us to really be that light into the world in luke chapter 12 verse 48 particularly the end of this passage uh, he says but the one who did not know it committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but few from everyone who's been given much much will be required and to him they entrusted much of him they'll ask all the more I think that's especially true when we think about our work with the Lord. We are able to do more in this generation than any other generation. With a few clicks of a mouse or a text on your phone, you can send God's message all over the planet. Couldn't do that a long time ago. We can do things, send things electronically all over the place. We can share this very message tonight to family and friends. And so to whom much is given, God's going to require much. And so when I think about those early disciples in maybe the 12th and 13th century in Europe, these little villages, and maybe 100 miles is all they had ever traveled in their life. We look at where we are today and what we're able to do. I think God's going to look at them and look at us and say, I expect more out of you because of the tools you have. And so so what we see from this is the purpose is to serve God as God wants us to. Now, uh, another question we want to talk about. And we have tried very hard to keep politics out of this. Um, Why?
1: You gave me the hard one. I did. (laughs) Let's go back to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Politics. From the Greek word polis means city. Uh, Politics is the, the science of the city the science of how the city, or the nation, or the empire is overseen. And as modern Americans, we love to get worked up about politics, right? But recognizing what it is, the science of our human settlements, the science of how our human settlements are overseen how our settlement gets along with another settlement i want you to hear me loud and clearly i i don't believe that it is wrong or out of bounds or sinful to have opinions um, informed opinions strong opinions vocal opinions about how we are overseen or how we are overseen in relation to to other settlements, whether they be large or small, but I would really, really, really plead with all of us to remember a couple of fundamental truths. God never said, this is the form of government that I approve." And if you are going to follow me, if you are going to be my people, then this is the one form of organization that you must have. In Israel, it was to be a theocracy, right, where God was the king. And we don't get very deep into the history of that, where the people decided, you know what, we would like to be like the nations Around us, and God's prophet Samuel was disappointed in that strong feeling, and and voiced that. And God even said, "Listen, they're they're not rejecting you; they are rejecting me." And God gave them what they asked for, but even warned them in the giving, "This is what it's going to be like, and it is not all it's cracked up to be like." the nations around you it seems to to me to be very significant that the son of god never said okay from this point forward there've been all sorts of human experiments but forever for as long as this world stands i want my people to be organized around this form of government never said it his apostles guided by the Holy Spirit, never one time ever, whether you lived in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or Greece or Rome or wherever, never one time ever said, okay, we've gotten your individual lives straightened out. Now we need you to work on the palace. We need you to work on the city. We, We need you to be an influence on getting the city straightened out into the right God-sanctioned form of government. The mission was different. God never appointed one human being in, in this age, on this side of the cross, to be, okay, this is my appointed overseer for all of my people all over the world. We were never told to put our hope in the polis, the city. Instead, if you have your Bibles open there to Psalm 2, right after, I mean, of all the ways for the second Psalm to be introduced, the first one to me makes a lot of sense. Okay, blessed is the man who stays away from what is evil and meditates on what is good. And we've got 149 other Psalms after that. Demonstrating for us the sort of things we ought to think about and, and meditate upon. And then Psalm 2. <laughs> Why do the nations rage and the peoples plod in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bombs apart and cast away their cords from us. Nations were raging 3,000 years ago. Nations were raging 2,000 years ago. Nations were raging 1,000 years ago. Nations are raging this evening. If this world stands, nations will be raging 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, and and 10,000 years from now. That's what the polis does. That's what human beings with minds set on the palace do but he who sits in heaven is the one that ought to have our undivided attention the lord holds them in derision he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying as for me i have set my king on zion my holy hill and we could continue to read but uh, it it becomes clear of course that this is a messianic song talking about the lord's anointed one right that that would eventually come even there three thousand years ago our attention is drawn to not well let me give you the plan to straight out all of the politics the plan is let me set your eyes on my anointed one. And I would suggest to you that's exactly the flow of the New Testament. Not everybody spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. They weren't told, well, listen, you've got to learn the language of the Messiah. Uh, not everyone had been circumcised. They, they weren't told, or if they were told, they, they were told, that's not true, that you have to be circumcised. It, They lived in different political systems. They spoke different languages. They had vastly different cultures. But none of that, none of that in the New Testament was used to define the goal of the Christian or what we as Christians ought to be most (coughs) passionate about. I, I, I know I'm... I'm getting going, so let me say one other thing, and then I'll turn it back over to you. Could I plead with you this week to be aware of how often in today's media, news media especially, we are fed us versus them narrative constantly, constantly very 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 sparsely is it just the reporting of this is what's going on in the world we live and breathe and and taste and hear all around us a narrative constantly painting us versus them us versus them and the us and the them changes but that is the way we are talked to in this culture now i would suggest to you we're seeing the symptoms of that in how divisive and hateful and spiteful and and just brutally competitive things are that is not the way we were taught christ right nowhere nowhere are we ever taught as disciples Okay, it's us versus them. No, it's God is our savior, and our mission is to bring as many people to him as possible. Even in this realm, we need to be really, really careful. How we talk, we need to be careful what we're listening to, how we're listening to it, and make sure that we don't allow this world and it's politics to draw lines that obscure the pure gospel message
0: right <clears throat> excuse me let, let me add into this i have literally heard someone get up in the pulpit and say if you are a christian i do not know how you can vote for instead a candidate's name uh, that's wrong we cannot bring politics into in here to those Psalms passages, I will not trust in a horse, I will not trust in a bow, I do not trust in the White House, the courthouse, the Supreme Courthouse. I trust in God. God is our Savior, God is our help. And so, as we head into a presidential election, there's going to be all this hype. And what we see is even among brethren, we get caught up into this the Republican and the Democrats, this and this, and we, and, and we lose focus of who's really on the throne, and that's God. And so, let's keep that before us as so we Go through life
1: yeah we need to pray we need to pray Uh, jeremiah 29 7 god says pray for the welfare of the polis the the city right but understand your king is someone else your mission is someone else you belong to something greater okay if that is the case how can i help the kingdom today we we got more than one question over the course of the last couple of weeks as citizens of this kingdom what should i pray for what how should i pray about what is going on right. in the <clears throat> middle east or in eastern europe first of
0: all you help the kingdom by being in it you got to be in the kingdom to help it and so uh, if i'm an outsider i need to get get on the inside and, and you do that by letting jesus be the king of your life and doing what god says but then we got to be faithful to the kingdom and we got to support the kingdom And we got to realize God's kingdom is everlasting. Uh, There there was Rome, but there's no longer a Rome as a nation. And there has been other nations and other nations and other nations. God's kingdom is what's going to endure. Daniel promises that through the Holy Spirit. And so, so what can I do is I can pray. I can pray for peace. As he said in Jeremiah chapter 29, we can pray for the welfare of Israel, for the welfare of the Palestinians, for the welfare of the people around us. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of hatred going on right now. There's a lot of misinformation going on. A lot of the college campuses, uh, Black Friday, they said uh, there was a lot of protests. Macy's Parade had a lot of protests during it. Um, don't be a part of that. We're different. We're the people of God. So we're supposed to be people who, who manifest the qualities of Jesus. And so we're going to be people of peace. We're going to be people who stand and understand there is a greater king. And that is Jesus Christ. and So that, I think that's some things we need to be praying about. We need to pray that this war ends. But when it ends, guess what? There's going to be another war sometime. Until Jesus comes, there's always going to be turmoil. And the reason is people are living without Jesus. And so we pray for the people over there. There's, there's a lot of souls who are being lifted up to eternity that may not know Jesus. That's what's really of, of concern ought to be to us and as i just said there's a lot of anger a lot of hatred what should i do
1: let's go back to romans chapter 12. Um, this anger and this hatred i mean as you you just briefly mentioned is not just over there Uh, you you may have (coughs) seen that earlier today there were three palestinian students in vermont that were murdered uh, it, it's not just out there; um, it is all around us. It, it is not simply swirling around this issue; it is all around us. I mean, we we live in a broken, hateful, spite-fueled world, and we have people in positions of power that retain power. And make money off of human outrage, human division. Um, <clears throat> we need to think about how easily we can be used by those in positions of power and influence when we live just like everybody else. I, I know of no better passage. To, in, in some ways, summarize everything that we've talked about than Romans chapter 12. And I, I don't even want you to take for granted the name of the letter. This is first century Christians in the belly of the beast. And this is what the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells them to do. And it is not hard to understand. Um, It is easy for us, I'm afraid, to say, yeah, but, what about, or what if, and yet, (laughs) this is in first century Rome, two people who live where Caesar dwells, and this is what he tells them in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be genuine. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. with good evil is in the world it has been in the world since Genesis chapter three I I would add to what you said earlier in knowing what to pray and how to pray spend time in the book of Psalms the book of Psalms teaches us how to pray (coughs) when life is really good and we're on green pastures beside still waters, and it teaches us how to pray when evil is at the door.
0: Going Um, through those valleys. Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah. Psalm 10 teaches us how to pray that God would break the arm of the wicked. I I believe that we can pray that. Uh, Psalms teaches us how to pray that, but it keeps us grounded exactly where Paul is grounding us here, in romans chapter 12 we need to anchor ourselves to whatever is going on in the world our mission is not to be overcome by evil but to overcome evil with good
0: it's real easy to adapt to the culture around us someone's angry you become angry someone is short with you you become short with them we just become reactionary how you treat me is how i'm going to treat you Jesus showed us that we should love our enemies. We should love, period, no matter how somebody treats us. And, and again, it, it, you know, things may get a lot worse. We hope not, but they might. And so we have to be different, and we need to remind ourselves of
1: that. Why don't you summarize for <clears throat> us where we've been one more time, wrap yeah. it up. How, how is all of this going to end? What do we know about what's going to yeah, happen? Yeah, let, let's
0: turn our Bibles. I'm going to
1: Go right I'm, tired, ahead. I'm
0: tired of sitting. I need to stand. I'm a preacher. I got to stand, okay? Let's turn our Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> and how's the kingdom going to end? And then just a quick summary where we've been, okay? In 1 Corinthians 15, just as a reminder, as we talk about the kingdom, as we read about in the New Testament, the kingdom that was promised in Daniel chapter 2 is not a physical kingdom. It's not walls and soldiers and banners and a physical king. That's what Israel had. That's what they had with David. And that's what they had with Solomon. That's what they had with Saul. That's what the early apostles were looking for. They thought that the Messiah was going to come to Jerusalem and establish a physical kingdom just like we had. But Jesus over and over would say, My kingdom is not of this world. And when you walk through those parables, I think what the parables teach us more than anything else is that God and his kingdom thinks differently than we do. That story of the prodigal son, that audience that heard that story, they would have booed that father. How dare one of your sons demand his inheritance before you're dead and then go spend it on riotous living and then go work for a Gentile? Right then, that father would say, I don't have two sons. I only have one son, because the other son never existed. But in that story, the father runs to that son, embraces him, and forgives him. The kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of man. You go through parable after parable after parable, you start seeing that. So here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle would say, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God and Father and his abolishes all rule, all authority, and all power. The kingdom of God will, will end here physically as we think about the spiritual kingdom on earth. It will end when Jesus returns. He's not coming, as we said last week, to come to start the kingdom. He's coming to gather up his people and to take them home. Then in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 9, verse 10... 2 Peter 3 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some men count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That is God's desire for this generation, the last generation, and every generation. God does not delight in having to say, I'll never see you again in eternity. God doesn't send anyone to hell. We send ourselves by choosing to live without him. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, where the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? Then go to the last page of your Bible, Revelation chapter 22. When's this going to take place? Like a thief in the night. Nobody knows. Then at the very end of revelation, one of the very last things is said, verse 20 of chapter 22, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. When he comes, it's not beginning. It's ending. So to kind of, kind of put a ribbon in a bow on this series we've talked about, There was a time in your Bibles when Israel was a person. There was a time when Israel meant a group of people, a nation. There was a time when Israel meant a place. You can put out your map, there is Israel on the map. But when you get to the New Testament, that, that focus changes. And the people of God are those who follow Jesus Christ, Galatians 3 verse 19, those who belong to Christ are Abraham's descendants, heirs to the promise. And so God's people today are not ethnically Jews. They're those who belong to Jesus. It doesn't matter what I am and my ethn how do you say the ethnicity. ethnicity ethnicity? I can't get the nicity out of my mouth. The ethnicity, doesn't matter what you are, doesn't matter where you live. Doesn't matter where your ancestors were. Do you belong to Jesus? So, what happens if Hamas wins the war and Israel no longer is a nation in the Middle East? Well, it be sad people are going to die, but it doesn't change any of this. It doesn't change any of this. This is not based upon that. This is not based upon having a physical Israel and a physical Middle East. This is not based upon a remnant of God still existing. The remnant of God are the faithful in Jesus Christ. And so God's kingdom is not based upon a nation. God's kingdom is based upon those who walk with Jesus. And so that's what we've been trying to look at the last three or four weeks. I know there's been a lot of stuff, a lot of verses, but if we have said some things you got questions about we'd be happy to sit down and talk to you about them study a little bit further those booklets we have have the first three lessons all the verses we've tried to use in those to try to explain this a lot of your friends a lot of your family's got questions about this a lot of people on tv don't understand this that's why it's important for us to understand biblically what does the bible teach about this
1: Romans chapter 12 has an appeal that I'd like to end with on. Romans chapter 12, we read earlier, verses 9 through the end of the chapter. Verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There is a God. It's the basis of everything we've talked about. That God has a will. In a world that is bad and unacceptable and imperfect, His will is good and acceptable and perfect. And He is full of mercy. Mercy that is available even this evening. If in some way you need to come to him, maybe for the very first time, it begins by presenting yourself to him as in need, in need of that savior that we talked about earlier. If that's you this evening, you're in exactly the right place. Would you let us know how we can help you? If we can pray with you or for you, we believe in prayer. We believe in the power and the importance of prayer. And if we can lift your name up before the holy throne of God above this evening. That's why we're here. Would you let us know how we can help you by coming to the front while we stand and sing together.